The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. talk to you about a principle today that may save you. The younger you are, maybe the more pertinent this will be to you to listen. Uh, Some of us old people, especially old brother Rose, 90, I mean, I think he's pretty well overcome it. And some of you 80-year-olds probably have made it on the other side and will not have the problem that is brought up by what I'm going to speak about today. But it is a principle that is biblically sound. I preached on this subject two or three other times, but this is a brand new message with a brand new text that re-illustrates the same principle. It is necessary that we get it. It's amazing to me how hard-headed people are, how thick-headed we are, how slow to learn we are. If you don't believe that, that was what usually Jesus talked to his disciples like. You slow to believe. And here he was, I always figure if they're slow to believe Jesus, they're going to be real slow to believe me. Right? Make sense to you? But I'm talking out of the Word of God today. I hope the Holy Spirit will let you see this. Uh, God will give you what you want, but you won't want what you get. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23 to 28. Let's read it and then make a few comments about it, lead you through the passage, and show you that it's a Bible thing. For the commandment is a lamp. It's in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, 28. The commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To, why are they there? To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her in thine heart, neither let her take thee with thy eyelids. For, for by means of a whorish woman, A man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? Now, I realize you women, uh, you may say, do not check out on me. Because the women in the room here may say, well, this isn't for me. This is talking to the men today. But This really, this formula, this process that God reveals in this passage and other places is really in any area of sin. This is just one area that he illustrates it clearly in. That's an interesting statement I've found since I've been 18 years old and got serious with God. I always tell people uh, when I was 18 years old, I died. I did. In the bedroom of 2003, Cast Office Street in Elkhart, Indiana, about 1970, Uh, Actually, in 1969, I died. I died to myself. I died to my dreams and my visions, and I I really desired to live at that point, from that point on, for God and and went on with Him. And and as I began to read the Bible, it was new. It was fresh. God began to use the Word of God. The Word of God is where God talks to us when we pray. It's when we talk to God. I let Him do most of the talking. 
And so I'm all over reading your Bible, as you know. I've seen people that read their Bible and read their Bible and read their Bible. I've seen their face change. You, you, you don't have to go get a Botox. You, you don't have to get a facelift. You read the Bible, and it will change your face. I'm telling you. It'll give you a glow about you. It, it'll change your countenance. It'll change something that comes through your eyes. You'll go from having those dark, disturbed eyes to having a, a, a joy in your eyes, a sparkle in the eyes. I've seen it over and over again. And the verse of Numbers, chapter 32, 23, always has, has been something that's impacted me. And it says basically in the last part of that verse, and be sure your sin will find you out. Oh, I preached on that. I think other men have preached on it. Surely the best, uh, sin is God's best detective. He's the best PI because it will always find you out. Somehow we, we believe that's not true, but eventually as we live through life, we surely come to the realization that it is true. But I paid attention to that somewhere around 45 years ago. Uh, since then, there have been many examples laid out for me to see that that's true. Now, by faith, I took it by faith at 18, but now at six, coming up to 64, and all I can do is quote a poet that says, will you, kneel, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? But nevertheless, so 45 years later, this is a fact. It is a principle. It is, a, it is something that has been revealed not only in the Bible, but by practice and example as a process that God Almighty has written into the universe. This is a non-changing, applicable principle for anyone in this life. How does it work? How does one go avoiding to be caught in the traps that the devil's laying for you out ahead of you? You know, often I preach a message that says, we play checkers and the devil's playing chess. He's five moves out there. We're, we're, we're just thinking of the next move. The devil's way out ahead of us planning. I want to know what he's planning, and the Bible will tell you what he's planning and how to avoid it. And our text explains, I believe, the principle that goes on with sin and how we negotiate it, whether we have victory or whether have, we have defeat, is in our choice realm. Have you ever dealt with an addict? Addiction is a horrible, horribly humbling thing. I've had a young man that was intelligent, at one time had a six-figure job early in his life, uh, was in management, had, had things going for him, and got on cocaine, first of all crack, and then got on the other powder, and eventually lost his job. He lost his marriage. He lost his children. When he was sitting in front of me, his teeth were rotted out of his head, and I just simply asked him, why have you let your teeth go? He said, because when I get the money to fix my teeth, I sit there and do this. Teeth, cocaine. Teeth, cocaine. And he says, for three days I can go to heaven, or I can go get pain in a dentist chair now and get my teeth fixed. And he said, you choose the three days of heaven over the of the, getting your teeth fixed. So literally, he was in such a bad shape, and this is the way it takes people. Uh, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you a whole lot more than you want to pay. And so I've cried with him. 
I've sat down and cried with them. And I meant it. I wasn't playing no games. I wept with them. I've grieved with them. Uh, I've been saddened in my heart at the absolute slavery they find themselves in. Because it's sad to see them turned into slaves. Slaves to do what seemingly would other folks is easy to stop. But because millions don't do cocaine, millions don't drink, millions don't have immorality in their life. Other people seem to be able to walk by and have victory in it, but they seem to be enslaved to the place they just don't believe they can come out of it. The addict can't get his addiction out of his head. It's in his dreams. It's in his meditations. If an addict's in in this room, it can be a lot of different types of addiction. But if you're if you've been given over to some sin in your life, even while I'm preaching, you're thinking about it. You'll envision it. You'll image it. And you cannot. Oh, you say, can I stop for short periods of time? Yeah, yeah. For for I used to this guy that I told you about the teeth. He'd stop for six months. He'd start, you know, get a job, start being a faithful. He was a good worker and faithful employer, employee, and he'd be working, and, and he'd start getting some extra money, and he'd be able to rent a, a place to live and, and even have enough money to have a vehicle. And all of a sudden, you'd, he'd be gone for three days just being visible. Three days later, he'd show up, look like he got run through the gutter, and say, I, I'm back. I'm back, and I lost everything. Again, 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 again. And eventually those people that get under an addiction of sin turn into parasites themselves. They lie to their, first they start with their immediate family, lying to them and borrowing money from them and breaking their word to them because an addict breaks his word, breaks his word first to himself and then to everybody else. And so pretty soon nobody wants to be around. When people come here for help at the place that they come, by the time they come to me, they have no friends. They've alienated their mother and father. They've alienated their brothers and sisters. They've alienated their relatives. I'll say, go back. Well, well, you should go to your family and get help. They look at you like you're from the moon, man. My family? My family's not going to help me. Why? Oh, now they're pretty easy on themselves here. But the truth is they've betrayed their family. They've lied to their family over and over and over and over and over. Why? Because God has done something in their life. You say, God. Well, let's read through it. Let's see what the deal is. Um, uh, I believe that you can learn how to escape addiction before it happens. And that's what this message is really. I am a whole lot more into preventive medicine, eh, Doc? I'm a whole lot more into preventive medicine than have that addict sit across the table with his teeth rotted out. I want to get to you before you've dropped into the hole, before you've been turned over. Step one of our verse here in verse 23 gives step one. Step one is escape is before the addiction. The Bible says that you'll not be tempted above that which you're able, but God is faithful who will always prevail, provide a way of escape. But understand that way of escape is most of the time before it happens. You lose your opportunity to run before you commit it. When God gives you a way of escape, easily you can say no. Easily you can move out of the way. 
easily you can go to another place, or in some cases, just run, man. Just run. The commandment is a lamp, and the light and the law of light is a reprusive instruction of the ways of life. So the first point of the verse is escape before it happens. Get into the word of God. The warnings are to be heard before you do it. Because by the time you do it, you have had to violate the voice of your conscience. You've had to violate the voice of your teachers. And you've had to violate the voice of the Word of God. The Word of God is as a lamp to your feet. Your teachers have come to you. Your parents, your relatives, your friends have warned you, but you said no. In in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, it says, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me? How is a commandment like a lamp? The word of God is like a lamp because it's a continuous warning. Like you're in the darkness of a night, you turn the light on, you keep the light on. Once you you need to get you and I need to be in the word of God because it needs to be a lamp unto our feet in the every waking moment of our day. We need to have some sort of an ability by the grace of God the word of God needs to wash over us and give us guidance. First of all, it's continual. Secondly, the, the lamp of the Word of God focuses us. You see where the light's at, and you stay in that path. I remember my mother, God bless her memory, coming to me over and over as a young man, a teenager, and my dad did it also, but especially my mother. My mother and her family and my dad's family had a lot of alcoholics. I'm part Cherokee. They tell me Indians have a weakness to alcohol. But nevertheless... I've seen alcoholics of every race and every color and every creed. Don't just blame the Indians, amen? I mean, the Irish, what about those folks? Wherever you find four Irish, you always find a fifth. I remember my mama, and I found this quote in Pulpit Commentary. This sounds like my mother, but I'm going to quote from Pulpit Commentary. Here's what it says. The way to escape the evil is not to touch it. To steer clear of it altogether. To keep well out of harm's way. To avoid the house and the company of a flippant woman. To leave the sparkling cup untasted. To refuse to stake a farthing of any kind of lottery whatsoever. Talk about gambling. This is the only secure ground to take. Once begin to talk with a seductive woman or to taste the pleasure of exhilaration from intoxicants or to enjoy the sweets of appropriating money gained by nothing but a guess who shall then say what end will be. And we're talking about gambling. You just see the three major addictions he just dealt with in the pulpit commentary there. Do not touch the fire or you're going to get burnt. Common sense. I look at her like, 
She says, son, never take a drink of alcohol. I'll guarantee you, you'll never be an addict like your Uncle Barney. And she'd name these people that I knew were, 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 had lost everything and were at the end of their addiction. And she says, son, you could be that. And I can tell you this, the devil had plans for me. He had dreams for me to be that. Wow. How many times have maybe your parents warned you about that or maybe your preachers warned you about that or your teachers warned you about that? I always say the Word of God is a warning. It's a lamp. It's to keep us out of trouble. And it represents, if you go back to the book of Psalm 1000 B.C., that represents something like 120 generations of people. If a generation is 40 years divided into all those numbers, and I believe you'll come up with somewhere around 120 generations of people, by the grace of God, have warned us and are continually warning us through this book, are you smarter than 120 generations of people? Are you going to be the exception to the rule? Have you ever seen a robbery where you just looked at it, they had it on film or video, and you looked at it and say, how did they ever think they were going to get away with that? They got their fingerprints, their, their picture, and, they, and, they get, and it's like, I, I look at those when I look, I go, duh, were you guys dumber than a box of rocks? Well, smart people don't steal anyway. Don't go and rob a bank. My wife works at one. Please don't do that. First of all, the first step to addiction is refusing instruction. The first step is they don't use the warnings of the Word of God. They don't heed the warnings of their parents. They don't heed the warnings of those around them that have told them, this is not going to work out. You're not going to do well. They, number one, refuse instruction. Number two, the attraction of the addiction is great. That, that is taught in verse 24 of Proverbs 6, our text. It says, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. The attraction is nothing to play with. In Proverbs 7, 25, it says, let not thine heart decline to her ways. That's an immorality, generally speaking. Go not, a, go not astray in her paths, for she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is on the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. The Bible teaches that this temptation that you think is something you can leave or something you can take, something you can do, something you can get away with, is bigger and stronger than you think, and it's taken down better people than you. How does she do it? Flattery. If ever a woman comes up to you and says, you are the finest looking man I have ever seen, run! First of all, you know she's lying. But flattery excites our ego. It inflames our pride. Years ago, a group called The Doors put it this way. 
Come on, baby. Light my fire. What was that about? The flattery. It's not overcomable, except God gives you mercy and grace. At 18, I told you I got right with God. I died in 1969, 18 years old, 2003, Casada Street, Elkhart, Indiana. For the five years preceding that, I sought the strange woman with all my heart. But I could not find her. Bible says she's easy to find. She comes all, she's all over it, but I couldn't find her. Realized later that my mother had been before God Almighty saying, save my boy. I thought I was just ugly. I looked in the mirror. That's ugly. That night when I asked Jesus to save me, really, and to deliver me, and I would live for him, the next two weeks, four girls from high school approached me and asked me to have sex with them in various ways. A young man's dream that's backslid. The first one that came up to me and asked me used a word that starts with F. Talking dirty? Right away, my hair went up and goes, where were you five years ago? And I thought, this must be the devil. Because surely the line was too specific. I thought, that's got to be I told her, no, she called me a queer. You don't call a red-blooded American boy a queer. It makes him mad. I said, I'm not queer. But I wanted to say, how did you know I just got right with God? It wasn't a few days later. Two girls got in my car, one on one side, one on the other, and both said the same thing. I go, What's going on? No. They called me queer. They didn't know the other girl. Then after that, a girl in the hallway of the high school did the same thing, stopped me and said, I want you. I go, no way. I said, God, you must, you must want me because the devil sure does. You don't think there's a spiritual warfare? I said no four times. I believe to this day if I'd said yes to any one of them, I would not be standing here. And I would not have had a ministry for God. He was allowing the test to come to see if I'd take the first warning. Run! Flattery. Flattery. Everybody likes to be wanted. Everybody wants to be needed. Everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to feel important. Everybody wants to be desired. The devil knows that. 
and he has people under his power that he'll tell come to you, especially this strange woman. She'll come by and she'll say, ooh, you look so strong, so manly. Oh, your wife may not have given you a compliment for the last two years, but brother, she'll flood you with compliments. And women, wake up. You married women in this room. Start telling your husband, don't lie. But come close to him. Learn to appreciate those who do not tell you what you want to hear, but what's right. Learn to appreciate your teachers. Learn to appreciate the preachers. Learn to appreciate the Christians that stand in your way between you and destruction. Bible says open rebuke is better than secret love. Flattery. I've had people come by through the years. The devil's ran by all, it's run all kinds of people by me and, and, and tried to flatter me down and flatter me. But as soon as they begin to flatter me, bing, 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 alarm goes off. Bing, 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 because the word of God is a light into my path. It's already warned me about that. He that rebuketh a man afterwards findeth more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue, Proverbs 28, 23. The third step we find in verse 25. The third step down, if I may say, is lusting in your heart. And this is the key to the whole message right here. Pay attention. If you didn't pay attention to any of the rest of it, get this. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. This is the process right here. What you desire in your heart, nobody else can know it but you, but you desire it, you meditate on it, you dream about doing it, you know it's wrong, you know God's against it, you've already rejected the lamp, you rejected the teachers, and you begin to, you say it doesn't hurt anything to think about it, it doesn't hurt anything, this is the, this is the horror of pornography is that it is in your head. But let me tell you, God knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and here's what happens. God sees you wanting that, and he convicts you of the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Don't think that way. Don't want that. That's wrong. And you go ahead and do it, because nobody knows about this but you. And then you do it again. And he says, comes by with a teacher, maybe a preacher. You go to church, he preaches on it. And he says, don't do it. Have pure thoughts and good thoughts. And Philippians 4, 8, the things which are honest and just and true, and there be any beauty, if there be any virtue, think on these things. The preacher warns you from the Word of God. And you go, but you go home. Maybe you flip it on again. You look at it, and you think about it, and it's in your head, and you mull over it. And you say, boy, would it be something. Oh, that'd be good. Let me tell you what happens. God eventually gives you what you want. you will hate what you have. And you will try to get away from it. I've had guys come to me and say, i got to get away from this woman. She's bringing me down. She's going to kill me. She's going to bring me away. They literally were enslaved. I'm talking about 55-year-old men. 
Not just 20-year-olds. This isn't just a 20-year-old thing. I said, what's wrong with you, man? Just don't see her anymore. Just don't talk to her anymore. Just tell her, I can't. And that, the, the verses in the Bible like this in Proverbs 5.22 come up in my mind where it says, this is the process. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. What's an iniquity? That is wanting to do something what God doesn't want you to do. It's trying to be something God doesn't want you to be. It's, it, it is a way of thinking that's not godly. You call it stubbornness. Call it what you want. But he says, his, iniqu- his own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be, listen to this, holden with the cords of his own sins. God will give you what you want, and in more than that, he will command it on you. He'll give you over to the cocaine and command it on you. He'll give you over to alcohol and command it on you. He'll give you over to immorality and command it on you, knowing that the sin is the punishment. You got that. The sin itself is the punishment. I had an uncle who would drink paint thinner. He'd drink wood alcohol. He'd drink anything. Smart man. Play a banjo, knock your eyes out. But your iniquities are separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, that he will not hear. Because these people that are given over to these sins beg to be released. They get before God on their face, and they say, Jesus, like Esau, cried and wept and begged God even to the place of tears. And the Bible said he found no room for repentance. It was a done deal. He sold his birthright. He wasn't getting it back. There was a line you cross with God, and you cross it, and there's no coming home. Man, I'm trying to help somebody here today. Through the grace of God and the word of God, may it be so. That somebody saved God gives you over to your inward lust, your private chambers of your imaginations, your dreams, your secret thoughts, your intentions of the heart. God commands them upon you. And he turns you over to what the Bible calls a reprobate mind. If you don't believe it, you can read Romans chapter 1 contextually. It'll help to read the whole chapter. But the verse 28 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do, you get that? To do those things which are not convenient, which basically is a shame to even talk about. Step number four, step number four, verse 27, 28, is your value will decrease. Your opinion of yourself will decrease. The opinion of others about you will decrease, and even God's opinion of you will decrease. You will, you will become what you abhor. You become a weakling. You become a blubbering idiot. You'll become an energy taker, a moocher, 
a thief. To where you'll steal from your own mom and dad. And step number five is you'll be the punishment will be severe. Proverbs 6, 27, 28. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? There's They say in medical profession there's no worse pain than fire. I think maybe kidney stone, gout may be up there with it. But fire is continuous. It's throbbing. It's life-changing. Third degree burns. And that's what he's talking about here. No one gets by with sin without some consequences. Nobody gets by with dabbling in the things which uh, are warned and that will harm you because when you do that, you bring them into yourself as, you, as if you would bring fire into your chest. You will get what you originally wanted, but now you will hate what you have got. How did it happen? Number one, you ignored the warnings of God as a lamp under your feet and a light under your path. Number two, you will fall to your pride that says, others fell in this, others had trouble in this, but I am the exception. Those thieves that you see robbing the 7-Elevens and, and, and in the banks and getting the camera and fingerprints and everything, they if you would have asked them before they did that crime, do you think you're going to get by with it? Yeah, we got it figured out. We're going to get by with it. It's pride. The pride is somehow you're the exception to the, in, to the rule. Others got addicted, but I'm not going to. I saw a TV show the other day. It was so sad. This uh, boyfriend and, and, and girl uh, went to a party, and they had some sort of PCP or something, and they went ahead for the first time. They took it, and it, it, it recorded their voices on their phone. There's a, there, and they had these demons coming after them and these monsters coming after them. They drove out in a snowy area, and the woman ran from him, got out of the car, ran from him, froze to death and died. First time. First time. I asked one coke addict, I said, how long does it take to get addicted? He said, the first time I did it, I was absolutely addicted. God gave him over to it. Don't you be the one. Proverbs 22, 14 says, the mouth of a strange woman that's an immoral woman as a deep pit. And listen to what he says here. He that is an abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. You say, Brother Bill, I'm addicted to pornography. That's because God has given you over to it. You say, Brother Bill, I thought I could quit it at any time. Give it a shot. See how it works. Once in a while, God will release somebody from that. Promise Keepers years ago had massive group of so-called Christians, Christians from all kinds of backgrounds, meet together. Massive, 50,000. They did a survey, a blind survey, so you didn't know who it was. They asked how many men were struggling with pornography. 95% of those men said they struggled with pornography. We're talking about Christian And you know who you are. I wonder why you can't quit. I wonder why you're struggling. I hope this passage helps you, helps you get it. The Bible says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You don't serve some pansy God. You don't serve some God that puts up with evil. You serve a God who put his only begotten son through what, he, what you've read 
that he went through on Calvary. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why? Because he, the son chose to be our propitiation. The son chose to be our substitute. And when the son chose to be our substitute, God the Father did not hold back from him. He put upon him all of the wrath and the anger and the hatred of sin that he had for it upon the son. And that's why he cried, Eli, Eli, Labo Sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's why it was dark for three hours. That's why the temple curtain ripped from top to bottom. Now you see the father who loved the son. Feel about sin. You ought to have a whole new regard for God's attitude about your sin. Don't play like God some sort of pansy, some sort of a wimp, some sort of a drooling uh, old man that has no difference between right and wrong. That's not the God of the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says in Romans, when they turned, when he turned them over to reprobate mind, he did it because they had no fear of God before their eyes. They had no fear of God. You know, when the devil comes by with a woman or with pornography or with drugs or with whatever by me, you know what I think about immediately? Whoa. If I do that one time, he's going to turn me over to it and whip my butt. You'd have to apologize to a lot of people if he didn't. How about you? He said, Brother Bill, that seems like a tough message. Let me tell you, addiction's tough. Sin's tough. Consequences are tough. You don't have to be that group. May, may, may you go back over Proverbs 6, 23, 28 again, afternoon, later on. Read it over. Maybe God will help you and deliver you. Father, help us. Help us, help us, help us. To fear the Lord with all of our heart, to have an awesome respect of the holiness of who you are. And to hate sin because all eventual sin eventually with those who propagate it will be cast into a place called the lake of fire. And we do not want to be part of that. And God forbid those who trusted Christ as their personal Savior would be part of that. That they would be part of participating in the sin after they've repented of it. God, there may be some people in this room been turned over. That's why they have no victory. That's why they don't seem to be. May they somehow, by your grace and by your mercy, may you release them. May they get it to the place where you know that it's real and where you would be willing to release them. Father, help them to seek your face with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. My God, I pray that the word, the word of God, the blood of Christ, 
would then cleanse them from all sin. And then the consequences of sin would be made, your mercy would be upon those consequences. Help us, the young people in this room, that they would not go this route. The young men in this room who have women out there that would love to eat them for lunch, pray upon them, seek the precious life. May you deliver those because they'd listen to their teachers. They'd listen to the lamp, the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.